Welcome to The Motivated Mind, where I challenge you to expand your perspective on how to achieve a successful life through motivational lessons, reflections, and interviews with other motivated minds. Welcome back to The Motivated Mind, a top 100 health podcast, thanks to each of you. This is episode 374, and I'm your host, Scott Lynch. Thanks so much for listening. If I've brought you any value, please be sure to leave a review and hit that subscribe or follow button. Don't be a stranger. Shoot me a DM on Instagram or Facebook and let me know what you want to hear more of. And please be sure to share the podcast. You can learn all the skills in the world, math, business, writing, but the right mindset will always trump them all. It's a great unlock to all other skills. Success and happiness come down to one single component, and that's mindset. In order to achieve our goals in life, our mindset needs to match those aspirations. And this is exactly what I pack into my free weekly newsletter. As a free subscriber, you receive the Mastering Your Mindset newsletter once per week packed with actionable insights on how to master your mindset and optimize your happiness. If you haven't subscribed, but you enjoy the content I drop on this podcast, then you're missing out. Click the link in the show notes to subscribe for free to the Mastering Your Mindset newsletter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like it's allowed me to be more creative because I've been able to simplify the admin aspect of my podcast and focus on developing more valuable and creative content. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. We find ourselves in an era where many minds seem to be closed. Why do we believe certain things? Why do we keep believing? And why do we stop believing? The answers can be found in a brain-bending investigation exploring the limits of reasoning, the power of groupthink, and the effects of deep canvassing. Here are my notes on ideas and concepts I found interesting from How Minds Change by science journalist David McRaney that answer all of these questions. 
Number one, even the most stubborn of believers can ultimately change their minds. In June 2011, five British conspiracy theorists boarded a flight in London bound for New York City. They were accompanied by a TV crew responsible for creating the BBC series Conspiracy Road Trip. In each episode of the show, a different part of the conspiracy community travels somewhere in the world. There, they met experts and eyewitnesses who challenged their beliefs and facts and evidence. The goal is to get them to have changed their minds by the end of the episode. This particular episode focused on five truthers, aka people who believe that the official narrative of what happened on 9-11 is a lie. They traveled to New York City, Virginia, and Pennsylvania, where they met experts in explosives, demolition, air travel, and construction, in addition to family members of victims, government officials, and architects. They also trained in a commercial airline simulator and took flying lessons that let them soar over New York City. So how many of them do you think ultimately changed their minds? On every episode of Conspiracy Road Trip, the number was exactly zero. But this time, it was one. The person in question was Charlie Veach, a prominent thought leader within the truther community. At the time, Charlie was famous for his YouTube conspiracy videos, some with over a million views, and for his regular practice of hitting the streets with a megaphone trying to recruit people into the movement. He had befriended and collaborated with well-known conspiracy theorists like Alex Jones and David Icke. However, something changed for Charlie during the filming of this episode. His certainty in his beliefs began to be eroded by his encounters with demolition experts, seeing the blueprints of the Twin Towers, and attending the flight school. His final epiphany occurred when meeting two people, Alice Hoagland and Tom Heidenberger, who had lost family members during the attacks. As he described it, the change in his opinion was like a sudden bang. When the truthers reconvened later in the episode, none of them were on the same page as Charlie. They argued that Hogland, one of the family's members that Charlie had met, had either been brainwashed by the FBI or was a paid actress. They were caught in the conspiracy loop, a kind of logical prison in which people claim that any contradictory evidence is purposefully designed and planted by the conspirators to mask the truth. So, how then? Was Charlie able to break free of the loop? Was it the strength of the evidence alone that convinced him? It couldn't have been. Otherwise, the other truthers on the trip would have been equally convinced. In fact, there was something else going on in Charlie's life that set the stage for him to change his mind. And to understand why, we need to talk about why people begin to hold tightly to a set of beliefs in the first place. Number two, people hold on to their beliefs because it feels psychologically safe. 
What happens inside the brain when a person's deeply held beliefs are challenged? In 2016, a group of neuroscientists, Sarah Gimbel, Sam Harris, and Jonas Kaplan all decided to find out. First, they gathered together a group of participants who held strong opinions about a variety of topics. They placed them inside MRI machines and then presented counter-arguments to their strongly held beliefs. Some of the beliefs the researchers countered were natural. For example, some subjects strongly believe that Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. Those subjects read that the light bulb had in fact been invented 70 years before Edison. Other beliefs the researchers countered were of a political nature. For example, say a participant strongly believed in strict gun control. That participant would have been shown a statement like, 10 times more people are murdered with kitchen knives each year than are killed by assault weapons. After reading the counter-arguments, subjects read their original belief statements again. Then, the researchers asked them to rank their feelings on a scale from 1 to 7. For the neutral statements, participants' beliefs softened when exposed to the counter-arguments. But, when it came to the politically charged topics, their brains responded to counter-arguments as if they were literal physical threats. They signaled their bodies to release adrenaline, which stiffened their muscles and caused blood to rush away from their non-essential organs. In essence, the participants reacted the same way they would if they had been walking through a forest and came across a bear. But why? Why does the brain respond like that? Well, because its job is to protect us in both the physical and psychological sense. Once our beliefs and attitudes are adopted as part of the psychological self, the brain protects them as if they were parts of the physical body. And it does that because our brains are wired to discriminate against outgroups and toward ingroups. In other words, and more simply framed, against a them and toward an us. This isn't actually so illogical. After all, humans survive by forming and maintaining groups. So much of our psychology is devoted to doing just that. As a result, we value being good members of our groups more than we value being strictly factually corrected. As long as a group continues to satisfy our needs, we'd rather be technically wrong than risk our standing with our peers. In the words of Brooke Harrington, social death is more frightening than physical death. With this context, now we can understand people's reaction during the MRI experiment a bit better. Some ideas like whether or not Thomas Edison really invented the light bulb aren't part of our group identity. And so, when those ideas are challenged, we don't feel physically threatened. However, when it comes to political beliefs, we cease to reason as individuals and instead reason as members of a group. By loyally maintaining our beliefs, we seem trustworthy to our peers and that, to us, feels like safety. However, just because we identify ourselves with a particular group at one point in time doesn't mean we're bound to consider them trustworthy forever. 
once we feel that it's our own peers who have become untrustworthy or cease to satisfy our safety needs, we'll unconsciously attempt to change them through argumentation. And if that form of searching for connection doesn't work, we begin to search outside our original group. This is exactly the reason why Charlie was ultimately able to change his mind and leave the truther community and why, for example, people eventually feel safe enough to leave cults. It wasn't the facts alone that persuaded Charlie. He had merely become open to the facts because he had found another community called Truth Juice, which was more in line with his values than the old one. Make hosting this holiday a joy rather than a hassle with the help of HelloFresh Market. From crowd-pleasing charcuterie boards to photo-worthy desserts, it's easy to add these party pleasers to your weekly order, saving you so much time. HelloFresh also has over 45 recipes and more than 100 seasonal add-on items to choose from every week. So, it's easier than ever to find something everyone will enjoy. For this holiday season, our daughter's experiencing her first Christmas, and HelloFresh saves us time in the kitchen, allowing us to spend more time making those important memories with her. Go to HelloFresh.com slash MotivatedFree and use code MotivatedFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash MotivatedFree with code MotivatedFree. Number three, face-to-face -face discussions can change a mind in 20 minutes. We humans usually feel very confident that we know and understand the reasons behind our thoughts, feelings, beliefs, motivations, and goals. We create a sort of biography for ourselves, one that tells us we're reasonable people who reach conclusions by viewing and contemplating the evidence before us. We think to ourselves, if other people were as smart as us, they would reach the same conclusions. But that's not how it works. Instead, it's much more like we're the observers of our own behavior. We create rationalizations, justifications, and stories about what we think, feel, and believe after we already believe it. Have you ever tried to change someone's mind by patiently or maybe impatiently vomiting a list of facts and evidence and totally failed to make them budge? Well, this is exactly why. People make their decisions on a visceral level first and then apply the logical reasoning process second. Steve DeLine and his organization, the Leadership Lab, learned this through experience. For more than a decade, Steve and his fellow volunteers have been going out almost every Saturday to speak to people at their front doors. They've had over 15,000 conversations to date, and most of them have been recorded for later review. Steve and his crew call their method deep canvassing, and through it, they're often able to get a person to give up a long-held opinion in less than 20 
minutes. The method is focused on open, honest, vulnerable conversations where judgment is carefully reserved. During deep canvassing training, volunteers learn several techniques that they can use in their conversations. One example is called modeling vulnerability, aka sharing a mistake you made in the past or something that was difficult for you in order to encourage the other person to do the same. One of the most important things deep canvassers learn is to never argue with or challenge another person's claims that just causes the conversation to spiral into an unwinnable fight, and that isn't the point at all. The point is to listen to the other person and make them feel heard and respected. The efficacy of deep canvassing is still being studied, but the results are extremely promising so far. So, is it possible to make use of deep canvassing techniques in everyday situations involving friends, family, or acquaintances? Well, that's what we're about to find out. Number four, use conversations to help people think better. Deep canvassing has a lot in common with other methods of changing people's minds and helping them think better. The one we're going to explore is street epistemology. It's called that because the person who developed the practice, Anthony Magnaboska, started by stopping random people on the street and getting them to question their epistemology. Basically, how they know what they know, or more accurately, think they know. Now, this is less goal-oriented than deep canvassing. Deep canvassing is done by people with a particular perspective who want to convince other people to join their side of a particular argument. Street epistemology, on the other hand, is more focused on getting people to question the fact claims they believe. For example, that God is real, that the earth is flat, or that vaccines cause autism. It investigates the reasons people have for believing these claims and whether those reasons are actually good ones. Almost any claim can be explored using the methods of street epistemology. Now, the way it works may seem simple, but it can be difficult to get right in practice. So let's look at all nine steps. The first step is to establish rapport. We should first ask the other person for consent to examine their beliefs. We should take some time to ask about their day, about what's going on in their lives, and we shouldn't be overzealous and immediately jump into the topic we want to discuss. We need to first make sure that the other person feels heard and that we're going to listen to what they have to say. If they feel safe, they'll be more willing to open up. The next step is to ask them for a claim. I've already shared a few examples. Street epistemology works best on fact-based claims, but it's also possible to use it on more attitude-based claims. Even something as mundane as strawberry ice cream is better than vanilla ice cream. It also works on values-based claims, like the tax dollars of Americans should go toward forgiving student loans instead of buying more aircraft carriers. After the other person has given us a claim, step three is to confirm that we understood it. Now, we shouldn't just restate their claim in their exact words, but instead reflect what they said back to them. Next, step four, we need to clarify the definitions of any terms involved in what we'll be discussing. 
For example, some people might use the term the government to talk about a collection of evil billionaires plotting to take advantage of normal citizens. We, on the other hand, might see the government as a collection of civil servants trying to improve the state of the nations for everybody. Identifying what each of us means by the terms we're using avoids the problem of talking past one another. During our discussion, we should use their meaning for each term, not ours. After this, step five is to identify a confidence level. We need to ask our conversation partner to label the confidence they have in their claim from zero to a hundred. This allows them to take a step back and assess just how sure they are about their own feelings. Then it's an easy segue from here to step six, which is identifying how they arrived at their confidence level. If they say that they're at 80% confidence, we can ask them, why not 100%? They might offer several reasons, but we need to try to settle on what might be the common factor, uniting all of them. Next, it's time for the most important step, step seven asking what method they use to judge the quality of their reasons. There are tons of ways of going about this, but the point is essentially to get people to assess their reliability of their ways of knowing or believing. What method did they use to arrive at their conclusions? Could someone else have plausibly used the same method and arrived at a completely different conclusion? For example, let's say we're speaking with someone who believes in the theory that the Earth is flat rather than a globe. We could ask them, what would you say is the biggest reason why you think the Earth is flat today? And what reason would most lower your confidence in the flat Earth theory? Our goal here is to move the person away from the claim itself and help them see which factors are influencing or underlying their reasoning. And lastly, trying to understand how important is the evidence to them and could other evidence cause them to change their mind. Remember, we're not actually giving them any counter evidence here, just helping them explore what kinds of counter evidence would change their mind. Once we've explored their judgment sufficiently, we can move on to the second to last step, which is to listen, summarize, and repeat. We should reflect on the person's answers and give that back to them by paraphrasing their arguments. Then thank them for their time and encourage them to keep thinking about their thinking. We can even share our own beliefs if we like and offer to explore them in the same way we explored theirs. Finally, for step nine, we should simply suggest continuing the conversation later. Remember that throughout all of this, our goal is not to copy and paste our own reasoning about a particular issue into another person. It's simply to get them to think about their own thoughts in a way that they usually don't. All we're really trying to do is guide them through their own reasoning. Try it and you'll see how remarkable the effects can be and how many minds end up changed as a result. 
Thanks for listening to The Motivated Mind with your host, Scott Lynch. I hope you enjoyed my deep dive into how minds change. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Motivated Scott. Don't forget to join me every Monday and Thursday for new episodes. I love you all, and thanks so much for listening. The Motivated Mind is a legacy division.